Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 10. There is a crappy Irish accent for you, but a nice little welcome as a happy belated St. Paddy's Day. I hope everyone had a, a great weekend. Uh, I'm sure many of you overindulged a little, but uh, I hope you had a fun and safe time. Uh, this weekend, I'm actually heading off to India for a couple weeks of uh, adventure and exploration. Um, so this will be the last podcast post for a couple of weeks, but I promise you I'll be back with some more great interviews. And also I have a fantastic one to leave you off with. Uh, this was recorded earlier today uh, with comedian James Mullinger. If you haven't seen any of James's work, uh, I highly recommend you check him out. He's uh, just hilarious and uh, got a great sense of humor and just a very personable person. And we had a, a great interview. Even we continued to talk before and after the, the audio was rolling. Uh, and it's probably one of my, my favorite interviews to date. So thank you again to James. Uh, he has become quite well known for, for moving his career from London, England, where he had his own show and, and a movie made about his early days in comedy, to a life in Atlantic Canada, where most people said it, w- it was going to be career suicide for him, but he is now thriving more than ever, booking shows uh, all the time, playing arenas. And uh, yeah, he's currently over in Toronto doing four shows over three nights. So if you're looking for something to do in Toronto this weekend, I highly recommend you check out James Mullinger at Yuck Yucks downtown. Uh, I'm I'm pretty bummed myself that uh, I won't be around for the shows, but I'll definitely I'll definitely see him next time he's in town. James also has a DVD special out called Anything Is Possible. You can also see him on his show Blimey, an Englishman in Atlanta, Canada. And James paid me the ultimate compliment today. He uh, before before we even started the interview, he said to me. Uh, I'm the one Englishman that you'll ever meet that's not interested in football. But I listened to your podcast with Dick Howard, and as a testament to your work, I found it really interesting the same way uh, I would read a Sports Illustrated article because it's really well written. And uh, that that was just so flattering to hear from uh, someone of his not only comedic but journalistic uh, caliber, and I really appreciate that. So thank you again to James uh, for those very kind words. Just a quick reminder. Before we get started in the interview, to follow the Adamantium Podcast on social media, you can find us on Facebook at the Adamantium Podcast, on Instagram at the Adamantium, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. And in the next couple of weeks, you'll get to see some cool stuff uh, from India, even. So let's get started with the interview with James Mullinger. He's played in front of arenas of 5,000 plus, but he's here today with us on the Adamantium Podcast. Enjoy, everyone. <laughs> James Mullinger, who's in Toronto doing a series of shows. Uh, welcome, welcome to Toronto, and thank you for coming on the Adamantium podcast. No, thank you very much for having me. I've been I've been listening to your work, and I'm a big fan of it, and so it's a real honor to do this. Thank and you. That's that's really great to hear from me too. Thank I really really very much appreciate that. You know, we share uh, a little bit similar backgrounds a bit. Definitely. Um, I, and I've got some catching up to do, but cool. You know, yeah. No, give no. Me, one... Give me another ten years as well. <laughs> I think you just celebrated a, a birthday as well. I, I did. I just turned forty. Yeah. Yeah. How old are you? I'm turning thirty. Perfect. And, yeah, so you, you in August. Got 10 years and you've already That's achieved it. way more than I had at 30. Well, I don't so, know about uh, that. I don't know no. about that. You've produced a movie and, and <laughs> several series and stuff, but we'll see. We'll get there. We'll cool. Get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, as I say, it's always nice to talk to someone, A, with a, a, a passion for all kind of, you know, creative uh, fields, but also 
uh, someone like yourself that has your hands in lots of pies like I do. So yeah, it's excellent, and it's one thing that kind of attracted me to to reach out to you, mm. and and I really appreciate you from the get go. You were very uh, easy to connect with. <laughs> it's, it's great. I really appreciate that. Mm. Um, so I, I know you 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 talk about it a lot, but I mean one thing that's kind of like the biggest stamp right now, and 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 who you are is is moving from your career in England. Yeah. To going to the Maritimes yes, in Canada, definitely. Atlantic Canada. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, and I know that you did it for, for family and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm kind of curious, what was during the move? What was, what was going through your mind and stuff? Were you, were you worried about? Good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I often, um, I mean, I, I, I kind of joke about it in, in my act a bit about those last, um, the last week. And I mean, a, a, an example I use in my act is about, you know, the, I have a, a routine about kind of, you know, the. The, the awful newspaper headlines mm-hmm. in the area that I lived in, the, the, the terrible, how these terrible criminal things would happen, whether it was drug murders or, uh, you know, a, a mob boss being captured <laughs> after 30 years on the run. And these things would be like page 38 yeah. in the local newspaper, like a postage stamp size. And I, I now live in a place where the front page news is, is the, is the revelation that 50 chickens were stolen. <laughs> you know, so, um, so, uh, it was definitely, uh, to, you know, and again, not, not to disparage London, or indeed, or indeed any uh, bigger cities, all of which had their purpose, and I had a wonderful, wonderful time uh, in my in London in in my twenties. But um, my wife and I had spent you know fifteen to twenty years living and working in London. Um, kind of in many ways, had been lucky enough uh, to be able to say that we'd done uh, achieved a lot of the things we wanted to mm-hmm. do. Um, we had our second child, and kind of got to that point where we realised we were living in one of the most expensive crime-ridden cities in the world, and not. Um, utilizing any of the things London has to offer, you know, because we were basically living to work, you know, you're, you're working around the clock, I was working for GQ magazine during the day, I was doing stand-up every night, you're basically working all these hours to pay a complete stranger to be with the, 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 the little people that you love more than anything in the mm-hmm. world, and, um, and, and there was no kind of, um, you, not that there wasn't any quality of life, but it, nothing was going to change, you know, it was right. basically this point where we went, this is, in 10 years, we will still be in this position. Right. Um, and over the years, we've gone through various different um, uh, thought processes. This is very, uh, we thought very seriously for many years about moving to Toronto. Um, again, to be close, my, my, my wife is from New Brunswick, so it's for her, t- and she lived in Toronto for six years before moving to London in her 20s. And uh, so it kind of felt like for her coming home a bit if we came to Toronto. Right. We then considered New York. Ultimately, we realized those were kind of sideways steps. You know, it, any issues we had in London were going to be the same here, i.e. expensive housing, um, you know. Uh, busyness or the rest of it and we kind of reached a point in our careers where we said we can do what we what we do anywhere and I've always loved New Brunswick it's always been my happy place um, and so th- that decision was made um, shortly oh actually it was while my, while my wife was pregnant with the second child uh, and um, uh, it, the, the, the months you know the weeks and months building up to the move were obviously somewhat you know traumatic like like right. a big move like that is of course going to um it's a big life change it's a big life change <laughs> um but to be honest it was one i was completely excited for so the honest answer is someone said this to me last night after after the show at yuckucks they said uh, wow you know london to new brunswick that must have been a, a bit of a, a shock and i said well it was only a shock in the same way that winning the lottery is a shock like when something when, when something that you've 
uh, I wasn't, you know, overly happy in London, and I knew I wanted to change, and mm -hmm. I wanted a different pace of life, and I made the decision, and I did that. I, it, like, when people ask me, was it a shock? It's kind of like, well, I wasn't forced. To, like, I went there by choice. Like, right. I, I'm yeah. not in witness <laughs> protection. Right. Some, people, <laughs> some people did think that uh, in London, they saying, yeah. no, you must be in witness protection. No, you know, it, it, it was completely a choice. And... So it was kind of like winning the lottery in the, everything I wanted out of life, which was to li which, which was to live in a beautiful place uh, with with a sense of community, uh, uh, to have a beautiful scenery around me, beautiful views, water, uh, all of those things. Um, uh, it was so it was like winning the lottery in that way, but also financially, it is like winning the lottery because you go from a, yes, you go from a place um, where in England, just to give people an example. Uh, a, a, a small two bed, very small two bedroom house on the outskirts of London in a, in a shitty area yeah. would be a million pounds. So that would be two million Canadian dollars yeah. roughly. Um, for a mansion on the water in New Brunswick, you're paying about 350 Canadian. <laughs> so basically about 150 to 200 thousand pounds for a mansion. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in England for 150 to 200 thousand pounds, you can get a doorknob. I mean, I mean, yeah. you, I mean, I mean they, literally, there's like, there's, there's nothing. I mean, I mean, I think for a laugh. Um, shortly before we moved, I, uh, I, I, I looked at what we paid. For. We live in a, a in a town called Rosse, just outside St John. We live on the water. I mean, again, growing up, the prospect of living on the water without that was ne that's not something that happened yeah. to people like me from a you know a normal upbringing. You know, that's a, and this is the weird thing is that you know the quality of life that you have on the east coast. Um, it, it, more people have a better quality of life than, than, than have it anywhere else. You know, like, I mean, with the way my English They're friend, happier people. Yeah, they're happier people. Because this is the thing is, I think when this survey used to come out every year, which would say, it was a survey of where are the happiest people in Canada. And it was always uh, New Brunswick was the, was the and I think mm. y y all of you in the rest of Canada all thought, well, that's because they're all a bit simple. And they were walking around, it's great here. But <laughs> everyone thought, but, but actually I think now people are starting to cut on to the fact that the reason people are happier there is because as well as having, you know, uh, you know, this beautiful scenery, world-class dining, uh, sense of community, um, the, the surprise for me actually when moving there was the fact that there actually wasn't a compromise in in any other way, uh, either mm -hmm. you know culturally or um, aesthetically or anything else. And, and this is the thing. And the best way I can describe it is, um, of course, there are more things to do in Toronto and London and New York and Montreal and, and, and all of those things. You know, and when I come to Toronto, of course, it's it's wonderful to have this um, abundance of things yeah. to choose from to do. However, in St John, where I live, you know, there are at least. Ten, well, there's about between 10 and 20 world-class performing arts venues. There are uh, shows and events and art galleries and exhibitions happening uh, you know, every day of the week. Um, so, but of all of those things happening, if I, at the start of the week, pick five things that I want to do, yeah. I'd probably make it to one of those five. So I'm still only making it to about 20% of the of things that I actually on. want to yeah. go to. So yes, if I was in Toronto, there would be a hundred things. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But ultimately, what's the difference of the number of things to yeah. choose from when you're only, when you're missing most of them anyway? Right. Right, so I mean, I mean so yes, yeah, so in, you know, in St. John, James Taylor uh, comes to perform at Harbour Station. Now granted, you know, in that one week, that might be the one big performer. Now in London, it might be Madonna and Taylor Swift and the Rolling Stones. Right. Now, <laughs> if I'm not making it to any of them, what's the difference? Well, for one, you gotta have a thousand pounds. Well, to when you've got to have a thousand, <laughs> to do all that thing. well, that's the other thing, right? I yeah. mean, the, the insane. 
I mean, again, I, I come to Toronto and I'm like, oh, you know, it, wonderful to be here. Let's go and uh, to, you know, go and watch the uh, infamous East Coast uh, musical production, uh, Come From Away. Yeah. And then you look at the ticket prices. $50 a ticket. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's completely, I mean, again, and similarly, there was a, a, an exhibition happening at the... Um, uh, Ontario Art Gallery, and again, fifty dollars. Now, I mean, again, I don't, I don't necessarily want to get into a debate about, but it does seem that, that the arts in Canada do seem more restrictive. In England, there are many, many um, ways and, and many ways to make the arts accessible for everyone. Yeah. In this country, it does seem to be quite an elitist thing. Like, basically, if you want to go and see a world-class musical production in Toronto, yeah. or want to go and see an amazing art exhibition, you need to be rich, yeah. which, which doesn't seem uh, right to me. No, for sure. Um, anyway, but um, all, in all that, sorry, that's a very long answer to your question, but um, but uh, yeah, it's um, all of those things were the, were the reasons why we made the move. Yeah. And, um, and being there now, uh, you know, I've been there four years now, and in all honesty, there has not been a single day that I've kind of. I, there's obviously people I'm missing, but well, I don't and miss. also, it's not like St. John is. You're not living in a farm in the middle of nowhere. No, yeah. no, no <laughs> you, you're right, and, and thank you for saying that because people. Yeah. I think that's what people think. Yeah, and it, and it's an odd thing, and, it, and this is partly why. I mean, you're right. It's not Toronto. But it's not Toronto, but, 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 London, I think but people have this um, preconceived idea of, of what the Maritimes is. They, you know, they read these kind of uh, you know uh, propaganda articles in you know like McLean's and the Globe and Mail and all these publications. They um, you know not to disparage them, but they don't have correspondence based on that side. Yeah. So once a year they might do a story on the Maritimes, and it would invariably right. be the Maritimes are screwed. And I always feel like these articles are kind of geared up just to make everyone in the rest of Canada feel great. Yeah. Um, about where they live, and then the picture will be a picture of. An upturned boat with a hole in it next to the disused <laughs> lighthouse. And I'm looking at it thinking, that's not that's, that's not, not where I live. Yeah. yeah. So I think when people picture the Maritimes Craft and they picture like a, like they imagine it like one of those in in like I say a Christian Bale movie when he's playing a a, a bare knuckle fighter right, yeah. and he's in a, a steel town where the steel mine but shut down and 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 every shop is empty and and, and, right. and and you can you can convey anything how you want I mean for example I, there was a specific Global Mail article that was absolutely mind boggling which was about um how bad things were in the Maritimes and they obviously sent someone to St John and they the picture they used. Of this, of this buzzing, vibrant city where I live, full of arts and culture and amazing things. And, and if anyone is in doubt of it, please go on YouTube. There's a documentary I did for CBC called City on Fire. So if you type City on Fire, uh, James Mullinger in, uh, this, this film will come up. That, if you want to see what St. John's really like, that, right. that, that, that's the thing. So they send um, a photographer, and the photographer finds a, a store on a corner that's um, currently not got anything in it. It's a yeah. disused store. So that's the picture, and they waited until a hobo walked past, and they got the shot. Now that's yeah. massive. That's St. John. Now you walk down Young Street, which is right where we are right there's now. Fifty shops. There's fifty <laughs> shops in a row empty. Yeah. You could take a picture of that and yeah. say Toronto is is broken. Well, well you, Toronto's not broken. You yeah. find it a lot with Scarborough here, which right, is like right. they find the most ghetto street yeah. in Scarborough, and be like Scarborough's the most dangerous place. And it's like. Have you ever been to the, like Scarborough also has one of the most nicest places in, in this part of Ontario, right. in the GTA, because they've got the bluffs and they've got, you know, it's like... That's exactly it. Yeah. And, it <laughs> and it's an odd, I think it all comes back to the, the, the one of the things that everyone loves so much about Canadians, which is Canadian modesty and Canadian yeah. humbleness. And that has served this country extremely well because you are all the nicest people in the world. However, um, at some point you've got to step up and basically 
uh, acknowledge the fact that this is the greatest country in the world and you should be telling people about it. And yeah. not, and it's just so and weird. Like, 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 like London is full of really, really, really shitty parts and yet no one sees that because right. they watch Richard Curtis movies and they look at postcards. Oh, and when they go, they just go to Westminster. They, they go to Westminster, <laughs> yeah. Because people say to me, they're like, oh, you know, they, I, they're like, I, I, I say how I was happy to leave London and they go, well, oh my god I went to London and I loved it and I'm like yeah but I didn't live in Big Ben like, that, like, like, you know, that's, not, that's not where my yeah. that's not the reality of life and if you want to go and see the crack den area that I lived in you know, there isn't a tour bus that goes there and, and London is very good at, at you know and it's one of those things where I mean every city has its, has its, has its good and bad points I, I think the Canadian modesty almost insists uh, forces people to kind of want to highlight uh, the bad stuff and it's like you don't have to do that yeah. you know d d don't ignore the problems and deal with the problems yeah. but yeah this is one of the things I get accused of is, is you know wanting to gloss over issues I will be the first person to you know uh, volunteer my time uh, at, at a food bank or you know try yeah. and raise money for a shelter I don't want to ignore the problems but what I want to do is embrace the fact that we actually live in a country a nice where, place. <laughs> yeah yeah where it's a, nice, a nice place where people care because in, in, yeah. in, in, in other countries um where there's problems, people just ignore them and they don't care. In Canada, you say that there's a food bank with empty shelves, or you say that there's a shelf that needs some money, or you say that there's a women's shelf that needs clothing. People will actively get out there and help. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, all of that is to say uh, that, yeah, it, it, it's funny. Like, like you say, I, I, I don't live in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's you know, it's... I think the great thing about the Maritimes is you can have uh, the, the city thing if you want to, or you can have the space. And if you want the really big city thing, well, you can jump on a jump on a porter flight and be here here here, here in an right. hour. You yeah. know, um, and that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm here almost every every month, and um, yeah, it's well, uh, that's almost the most ideal in your for your situation. You, yeah. Well, 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 exactly, and that's the thing is, uh, and certainly when I moved to um, to the Maritimes, I thought. I did think that because what, what, of what people told me, they said there's no comedy industry there, you, know, you won't yeah. make a living there. So I kind of expected to be on the road the whole time. Right. Which is part of the reason for moving there. It was like, well, let my wife and kids be in a, in, a, in a happy place, surrounded with her family and everything else, and I'll be away the whole time. Conversely, what's happened is most of my work is in the Maritimes. And, um, and then also, conversely to what people think, it's also where the, where the, where the best paying work is. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Um, uh, you know, I generally I will. I love coming to Toronto to perform, and again, I mean, I mean, part of that is also you know wanting to stay sharp, and that's why I was in Winnipeg a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I like traveling across Canada performing because ultimately I, I want to keep the act as as sharp and as fresh right. as I, as as I can. Yeah. So that was actually my next question was, you know, you expected to kind of be traveling most of the time, mm -hmm. taking your tour. How did you kind of come across this niche market that you found in the Maritimes? It's a good question. Um, yeah, a good question because I, I don't know if I came across it so much as what, what was so, so I get there and everyone says, you know, what are you doing? I said, I'm a comedian. They're like, oh, well, there's no, there's no comedy, you know, you know, and and, and I mean, which wasn't true. There were uh, amazing comedians uh, like Shane Ogden putting on uh, comedy shows, but you know, semi regularly. But but I guess the best way I can put it is that you know. Four or five years ago, if, if, if I went to New Brunswick f to visit my wife's family and wanted to see a comedy show and I Googled it, that one month there might be uh, one of Shane Ogden's shows or there might be a Yuck Yuck show in Moncton, but that would pretty much be it. Yeah. Whereas now, in St. John alone, in one week, there will be five to ten comedy shows happening. And of course, you know, again, um, one of the uh, problems that, that they do have in the Maritimes sometimes is, uh, uh, is, is negativity. Mm -hmm. or, 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 and, and, and people so when this 
built growth was happening, both in terms of you know um, commercial growth within St. John, loads of these amazing restaurants and bars opening, and a Yuck Yucks open in St. John, which again, it's the same as the club in Toronto, similar size, um, uh, and three shows a week. People said, oh, we can't sustain it, we can't sustain it. And, and conversely, you know, you need to have a build it and they will come mentality. Right. And that is basically what's happened, is that now, I mean, I didn't used to, I mean, you know, purely for financial reasons, I didn't, I didn't always think to, on a rare night off when I'm not working, I didn't really want to invest in a babysitter, pay for a cab, go uptown. Right. St. John um, Uptown has now created a situation where it is so awesome that I cannot do it. Right. right, you know, so yeah. it's like where was one bar opening or one core restaurant, one core thing happening. It's like uh, whereas now I can't not. It's right. just and, and and I'm saying to my friends, you have to come. And again, it's interesting. I did some commercials for New Brunswick Tourism last year, and there was some. Um, we, we, I was interviewing some people at Hopewell Rocks, and I met a, a pair of brothers. One lives in Vancouver, one lives in New York, and they they'd flown to St John Airport, and they were staying with some friends um, in uh, Milledgeville, just at, which is basically in St John. And, they, and this guy from New York was saying, he said, I cannot believe that I was able to swim in a river and then five minutes later, I'm in an uptown area that reminds me of yeah. New York in the 80s, right? And I'm right. like, well, that is, that, that sums it up in anything. It and kind so, of goes back to your, your point that yeah, people are kind of, build don't it, know what. Exactly, build it and they will keep, come. Yeah. The, 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 the more that you, so anyway, to, 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 to answer your question, there was, um, uh, so now there's all these comedy shows and now, five years ago, if you said someone in St. John, what should we do tonight? Mm -hmm. The options would be, well, meal, cinema, uh, maybe go see a band. Um, comedy wouldn't have been on, on any okay. theater. Whereas now what, people, what, the, what, what the comedy scene there has done by putting on all these shows is now, it's a genuine, is there a comedy show happening tonight? And you can mm -hmm. say that almost any day of the week. Right. I mean, I mean and also, oddly, there's, there might be like two or three happening in one night. I mean, um, well, a perfect example is I'm, I'm, I'm doing uh, Harper Station next month again, which is, uh, again, 5,000 seater arena in St. John. That same night, Yuck Yucks will have a world-class show happening. Right. And, and Shane Ogden's uh, and Julie Tower's amazing uh, Chuckles Comedy Club have um, you know, Deborah Giovanni playing. Right. right. So you've got basically, you've got three, 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 th you th th three good comedians. Yeah. All, and there will no doubt be another show happening as well. Right. So that's, in five years, one show a month in all of the province to, to four big shows happening in one night in one of the cities. Oh, oh, oh and Jimmy Carr is doing two shows in Moncton right. that same yes. night. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean when, you, when you think about that, one night, David Giovanni, whoever's here down in Yuck Yucks, uh, myself in an arena, and then, and then Jimmy Carr doing two nights at the Capitol Theatre in Moncton. Like, that was completely... Um, Unheard of. So, but but. So, do you think you kind of locked out with the timing, or yeah, or? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, definitely. I mean, I Saint John was yeah, or, or the promise was definitely ready for it. I mean, okay. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't um ever try and lay claim you know and, and take credit for any any of that growth that was right. all done by all of those individuals you know yeah. um, um themselves um. But the one thing I did realize when I moved there, and people said to me, you know, you can't make a living as a, as a comedian here, was that I realized that, that basically, ultimately, in, in a business, and it is a business, uh, every job is the same. So when people say, how did you build up what you, what you do? Mm -hmm. uh, I built it up the same way that a contractor or a plumber right. or anyone would, you know, if you're a plumber, you know, like that's the thing, it's, it's a weird thing to say to someone, oh, there's no comedy here, don't come here. Right. Because if, well, you wouldn't say to a plumber. People still like to laugh. Yeah, people still like to laugh. And you wouldn't say to a plumber, there's no plumbers here, don't no. come. But if there's you no plumbers, toilets, then there's yeah. a load of toilets need unblocking. And that's how I, you know, I'm like, well, I'll build the toilet unblocker then. Yeah. And, and, and that was kind of a, 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 a one way that I did it was, 
I did the same thing in Plumwater. I went out and did good work. And this is the one thing I like about uh, living in a smaller city is that word spreads. Like in right. England, and, and specifically in London, you can be a shitty plumber and get away with it for years. Right. And I had those. I had the plumbers that came in and we, they, they sort of found them in the yellow pages or Googles or whatever. Right. And they came in and then they, they ruin your whole house. And then they go, and you don't tell anyone because why would you? And if you do tell one person, well, it's not going to reach the other right. 50 million people. Um, whereas if you mess up someone's plumbing in, in New Brunswick, everyone knows about yeah. it. So it creates this kind of um, self... Um, it, it, it's this kind of self-controlled like weeding out uh, of, weeding uh, out of yeah, uh, yeah basically no one can you can't the one thing I'd say about is that no one you can't be bad at your job you can't be bad at your job yeah. no one is running a business in New Brunswick who is shitty at what they do and again I, I, I couldn't I, I couldn't comment on, on Toronto as to whether that's the case but I mean in London you can be shit at what you do and get away with it for years wow. whether you're a comedian or a plumber I mean to, to some degree whereas in New Brunswick you can't go with it so not that I didn't try it in England when I performed but I was very aware when I got to New yeah. Brunswick that every single gig I had to smash it out of the park because mm-hmm. if there was 50 people there or 100 people there they would tell their friends yeah and it's like if I did a bad mm-hmm. job a thousand people would hear about it. Right. If I did an okay job, no one would hear about it. But if I did a great job, a thousand people would hear about it. Hear about right. It. So it was literally, um, it, it was completely word of mouth. There was mm-hmm. no big, and, and, and that, that um, the, the City on Fire CBC film I was talking about was actually charts the process of me selling, uh, trying to fill that arena the last time, which is what yeah. became the stand-up special. Like, and you see it in that, like it was all completely organic, like two nights before the biggest show of my life. Um, I, I, I'm in a high school. I, this is she's in the film. <laughs> I was in a high school um, doing a fashion show. I was asked by a, a, a very friend of mine, a lovely woman who spends all of, again a perfect example and a proponent of everything that is wonderful, not only about Canada but, but, but specifically about New Brunswick. Uh, Rhonda Cusack, who spends all of her time just fundraising for various organisations, one of the sweetest, kindest women ever, asked me to do lots of things when I can. I do them, uh, and and but in, and in these, and I get asked to do lots of things and. In those weeks building up to the Harvest Station show, I could have done with, obviously, some time off, some rest. I was promoting all day. But every single night I went out and she asked me to do a fashion show in high school with some high school kids. That is not normally the kind of thing that would be top of my list uh, (laughs) of things to do necessarily. And I said, can I do some jokes? She said, yes. So I I, I get put into these clothes and I go onto the stage and I'm wearing these things. And there's 300 people in that room. And and the MC uh, uh, said, you know, how many people have seen James Manager before? Maybe 50 of 300 might have seen me. Uh, and then I'm like, well, there's 250 people that I can now win yeah, over. Reach. So yeah. I do 10 minutes of stand-up, and I say, this Thursday I'm playing up a station. Now I don't know if that generated 10 sales or 20 sales or 50 sales, but I did that every night for right. weeks. So, so you know, I didn't fill I didn't fill the arena with, with any kind of form of. And this is the thing I, I I like so much about the way the comedy scene has been built up in New Brunswick is that. It's completely organic, and that isn't to disparage the traditional business model of right. comedy agents and comedy specials and TV and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But I like the fact that there is nothing um, corrupt or underhand, or not that those organi- not, not that any of those things are, but there's no, there's no favours to be done. This well, is a completely organic approach. The comedians that are doing well are the ones that, that make people laugh. Um, and it's and- a little more special having someone say to their friend, did you see this guy? He's great. Rather exactly. than Rather reading than, it from somewhere who might even be being paid to say that. Well, well, well exactly. Yeah. Or someone is is on a, is getting a spot on a TV show because that manager also manages someone else that that yeah. that, 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 that show want to get. Or, or you know, um, you know, you're being booked for a specific thing because the the booker is also your manager. All of these things, right? There's none of that. It's a completely uh, natural and organic approach, which is simply uh, go and tell some jokes in a place. 
uh, people like it and they come again. Right. It, it, it's completely pure. And, and, and so that's still my, still my model. And now, and four years later, I built up a, you know, a, a, a small um, uh, but law following of people that, that, that might like what I do. And then, and, and the corporate work, um, comes from that and I, I treat those gigs very you know professionally you know mm -hmm. like when I'm asked to do corporate gigs I can work completely clean I can also work completely right. dirty um, <laughs> I treat it like a, I mean the best way I can put it I think is that um, you know, people say to me well, what's next and it's like well there is no like, like, like the dream for a comedian or performer or anyone in a creative Stern field is exactly yeah. so anyway, that, that is sim simply it yeah. and that is the hardest thing in the world right to get to that place that's as hard that's to say to someone i want to make a living as a comedian especially in canada that's kind of as out there as yes. saying i want to be the next adam sandler i want right. to make 10 blockbusters it's as ridiculous so i'm uh, i'm at a point where, which i never ever thought when i was a shy 15 year old kid with, with no friends and, and too nervous to speak to anyone uh but loving sound comedy and wondering how these comedians did this amazing job and all of those things when i was that kid the prospect of ever feeding a wife and kids with stand-up comedy yeah. is was out there. So the fact that I'm there, um, that's it. This is the, the dream has been achieved. Yeah. So, so what's the dream now? The dream now is the next hardest thing in the world, which is maintaining that. that right? right. Because right now, this week, uh, back in St. John, my, they're eating right now. Yes. Next week, where they might not be eating. So right. Right, you know, I mean, t today, tomorrow, every day, I'm going to be on the grind to try and uh, uh, keep. Can you know keep perpetually uh, keep this business moving? Keep myself being able to do what I do because that is the thing. Because the second you stop, because um, there are some comedians that say, "Oh, you know, my agent hasn't called. I haven't got any work." And it's and and or, or people ask me kind of how you know how did you get this gig? And it's like, well, the honest answer is even after doing this job for 12, 13 years, um, you look at my diary or you look at the things that I'm doing or anything else. I would say about two percent of the things I do came to me. Mm -hmm. Everything else, I have you grinded. I, I, I've, yeah. I've gone for. You know. You know. No one. The phone is not ringing off the hook. Right. Um, you know. Um, I am. I am approaching all of those mm -hmm. places. I'm getting to. So. Um, so yeah. The, the, the dream for me is completely to be able to sustain. There's a wonderful thing that uh, Seinfeld said that he read. Seinfeld said he read this interview with a comedian who, um, had, you know, done stand up and then got into acting and movies and. And I, I can't remember who the comedian was. I don't even know if he named them. But he said that this comedian said, they said, yeah, the interviewer said, why, why have you, you know, gone into movies? And he said, well, I don't want to be 60 years old and wake up on a Tuesday and I've got to perform in Milwaukee on a Tuesday night. Right. And Seinfeld went, well, I do. Yeah. Because that's exactly why I got into this, yeah. right? And sure enough, Seinfeld's now 60. He doesn't, doesn't need the money, but he's still performing in, you know, small places on a Tuesday night. And, and that's the thing. I mean, I didn't get, there was, the only end game for this was to do stand-up. There's, yeah. there, there's no other... Um, avenue. So uh, for, for me, if I'm still here uh, playing Yuck Yucks in Toronto in 40 years, then I'm a happy man. You're happy. Yeah. Well, if that's that's the whole, and it's funny because I was just talking to a friend who, who works in the film industry and he's, you know, that's also an industry where you have to donate a lot of your time to yeah. get there. And he's like, I've been working with people who they're miserable being there. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking to myself, the same thing, I'm mm -hmm. thinking to myself, why are you here? You know, yeah. like, it's not an industry that pays the best no. unless you're the top 1%, right? Exactly. It's like, why are you here if you're not happy doing it? You have to love what you do. To exactly. Be and, 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 I'm a, and I'm just saying, it's the same with any kind of art, almost. You know, whether you're a painter or a comedian, yeah. or, you know, or a journalist, you know, yeah. you have to love... You, you have know. to love it. There's no point being, being miserable. If, if, if you're a journalist, 
and you don't like people. You don't like talking to people. It's like, why are you a journalist? Yeah. You know? so, uh, no, I completely agree. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, there's a I imagine for a, like, a comedian, the payoff is hearing the laughs. Yeah, you know? it, it, c- completely. I mean, it, it's the greatest thing in the world, and I, you know, I'm, I live for it, and I, um, you know, uh, I, I go through, you know, it's that weird thing where it's the one time, it, it's odd to have this amazing moment where, and again, my brain is completely out of control in that I'm sure I have, a, I mean, a, a half a dozen undiagnosed different personality disorders <laughs> and, you know, from ADHD to anxiety to all these things, when some of it had recently been somewhat diagnosed, but I have all, I've, my brain is in, in a, and, and I'm, a, I'm a panic, I'm a warrior, I'm, I'm a, you know, and part of it, part of why I don't have never wanted any of this stuff treated is that is that um, is it makes that it's, you who you are. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's how I get. How do I get a thousand things done in a day? I mean, it, I'm, I'm ready to. My head, my head's ready to explode, yeah. but I get shit done. So I'm I'm willing to ride it out. That's why I've never want to be. Um, I'm happy to talk to therapists, but I don't want to take any 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 you know right. drugs for it because I don't want to stop this. The, well, the, the, you've the learned to manage it over. 40 years now right, so it's well, like it. why, why change it now if it's working yeah and it, and, it, and it works but the, what the stand up is, is is it's the most cathartic time because it's the only time of my life where yeah. I have one thing to think about yeah. so when I'm on stage for an hour at night it's amazing um, yeah, beforehand I'm like oh I've got to this go to this do I want to go to this tweet this Instagram this or uh, what, I've got to get back to that person what about this oh shit I forgot oh that's right. that's basically my brain all the time, all the time yeah. and then suddenly I walk on do stage you sleep? <laughs> I mean, not much, like, not yeah. much. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, you see, I was too, posting yeah. on Facebook at two o'clock yeah. this morning. I was up at seven this morning. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I don't, I weirdly, I, I never, I don't sleep in bed. I sleep everywhere else. Like, yeah. put me in a car. I, I was taking a cab to um, Tochipur's house yesterday. It's a fifteen-minute cab ride. I slept in that cab. Right. Room. You know, I sleep in dressing rooms. Um, yeah. You know, I, I basically can sleep in anywhere. If you want to take a nice nap, ride the TTC. <laughs> that puts me to sleep. <laughs> Every time, I could have the worst night's sleep, and yeah. then I'm on my way home from from work. I used to work at an ad agency, and right. sure enough, actually, I could have had twelve hours sleep. I'd be riding home from work and just yeah, that's it. But it's exactly yeah. the same. But it's that exactly. weird, like asleep but not asleep. Yes, yeah. yeah. No, it's and true. I always knew when my stop was. I was awake. And, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's it's recharging batteries. Even yeah, if it's it not a kind of full. Yeah. And um, oh, the worst one is though is when you get that kind of. <laughs> Like yeah. you suddenly wake up and you feel yeah. like you're falling and, and it's in public and, when, and everyone's looking. When it's in public, that's how yeah. it's... Um, but, but, um, but yeah, so basically it's that hour on stage when basically you have this one focus and the one focus is making them laugh and it's weird that that is almost whatever the ADHD drugs are that, that people yeah. give, uh, uh, give out. Um, my stand-up is that for me. It, it, when I'm up on the stage, uh, I have this one focus. Rest, everything else is cool. Yeah, everything else is, yeah. You know, so if you have an argument with your partner or you're worried about you know, yeah. sons of problem, whatever it is, all of those concerns for now. So it's kind of like, and again, I, I, I don't know those, but as I understand it, you know, like people that people that take heroin, it's basically everything else blocks out. Right. right? When, when they're, you know, on this. And that's basically what being on stage is like. Everything else is blocked out, and it's just this kind of one hour buzz, and you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah. Now, do you have like a, like a hobby or activity that, for instance, when you're trying to think creatively or come up with an idea, do you have something that helps you do that also? Good question. Helps um, you focus? Not really, um, and it's odd. Like, I, for, for, it's weird because for me, the creative process is very, um, it, 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 it's very boring in that it's literally just like 
think of something funny, write it down. Or need to write an article. It's very functional. Yeah. Need, need to write an article for, for the magazine. It's so like, you can do that, though. You can go sit and just do completely. it. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, a lot of creatives would kill to have well, that. Well, <laughs> well, 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 when I say that, what I mean is, is it comes to me and then I go and do it. But, but yeah, what I can't okay. do... Yeah, I mean, when I'm writing an article, I, can, I sit down and, and, and bash it out. And, it's, yeah. and, and that's from years... I mean, I used to... When I first started at GQ, yeah. it was definitely... At GQ, I spend a lot of time deliberating and putting it off and being nervous. And this is really the thing that holds everyone back, is... is is nerves, nerves right? yeah. Like when I would, was commissioned to write my first few articles for GQ, I would keep putting them off because I was terrified. I'm uh, essentially terrified of sitting down and doing it. In the same way, it took me so long to do my first stand up gig because um, you know, I was nervous, scared of failure. And that's the biggest thing that holds back. Mm-hmm. A, a, a very good a friend of mine, a, a photographer and fashion icon and an and amazing fashion retailer in St. John, Kenny Lawson, does this amazing keynote speech about you know, not being afraid of failure and that failure is, you know, everyone Inevitable. that has made it. Yeah, yeah, it's to me inevitable and everyone that has made it has failed many times. So basically yeah. embrace those failings. Embra- you know, Steve Jobs embraced all of his failings yeah. until you know, he, he, he did the thing he wanted to do. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, so it used to hold me back. Now, I guess it stems from a place of confidence. When I need to write an article for the magazine, you know, I sit down and do it. Bang. Um, uh, my hobby is uh, I, I'm a collector. Uh, some would say hoarder. I, I'm obs- I, know, I know you're a big movie fan. Um, and I was just, I noticed this on your Instagram. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I, have a, I, I was going to ask you. It was, right, it's, yeah. on the, it's on the. See, I mean, I'm a massive movie fan anyway. But yeah. I'm, I, my biggest obsession, I collect, I grew up with, obviously in the age of VHS. Yeah. I basically have a VHS library. My, my father in law is the most amazing uh, man in the world. And a blockbuster video that had remained dormant for many years in St. Yeah. John uh, was being turned into a jungle gyms and uh, a lovely, the lovely man uh, who ran the mall, Lancaster Mall, uh, very kindly said I could have some of the blockbuster shelving. So yeah. my father-in-law gets his mate Frank to bring the truck down, we load all the blockbuster shelving on, so we get back to my house, we try and get it into the basement and it won't go through, the, it won't go down the stairs and it won't go through the yeah. trap door and, and I'm mortified and my wife and I go away for a week somewhere and while I'm gone, and, and again, we just decided we were going to scrap it. We smashed up yeah. some of the shelving and, we, and I said, you know, burn it, get rid of it. I come back a week later, my father-in-law has piece by piece taken these shelves apart, taken them downstairs and built Rebuilt this. Them. Yeah, I mean, just... The, so how, the, how big do you think is your collection? I mean, I mean, not. I mean, it, it, it will sound to you that some people don't collect. To a VHS collector, this went up. I probably have two or three thousand VHS yeah, tapes. Yeah. And and but but I don't mean they're not shit. I, they, I mean, we're not talking Apollo thirteen and Titanic. Right. We're talking, you know, you know, uh, Bruce Lee's the big boss on original. You yeah. Know, I was um, say, what are some of your favorite? Um, I mean, I mean, I've got the very the very first I spit on your grave, uh, big box. Um, uh, I mean, so, so it's horror movies. I mean, like, The yeah. Toxic Avenger is okay. one of my favorite yeah. movies. Yeah. So I've got The Toxic Avenger on in about 12 different formats. Right. I've got like, the Japanese, the Polish, the Russian, okay. the I British. Was gonna, one of my questions was, once you know you, you've, you've crossed an obsessional line when you have multiple copies of the same Exactly. Movies. I mean, a perfect example is like... I think not, I have four different versions of Die Hard somewhere. Right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I, and I do too, exactly. And again, I mean, like a Wes Craven's 1972... Uh, uh, home of the last house on the left. I have the soundtrack on CD, digital download. I've got two vinyls. One is a wow. picture disc. One is the limited edition gatefold. I have the original VHS. I have the original British video nasty. I've got it on Blu-ray. I mean, yeah. I've, you know, so um, collecting is my thing. So when I'm on the road, when I've been trying to, like, I mean, a few weeks ago, I went to this amazing store that I saw cinema, which um, is a, 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 a DVD. West there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Video rental store. And I go in, and there's this. Um, 
uh, completely, uh, and I walk out, and this is what I do when I come to Sydney. So I Google where can oh, I go onto Howard VHS yeah. Collectors Unite on Facebook and go where can I get stuff in Toronto, especially since that amazing um, store. Uh, there was an amazing store that, that shut last year, um, Suspect Video. Okay. And, yeah. Like, can I yeah, so, yeah. and no one replied, and I Googled and found I saw a video, and I go there, and there's a VHS cell going out the back. Anyway, I walk up back, and that's. But when I said there's nothing I miss about England, there is one thing. I miss these movie conventions yeah. I used to go to. Oh, these, okay. Yeah, and again, you do have them in Canada, but there's none really in the East Coast. Right. Um, so it basically means a flight, yeah, yeah. a thousand dollar flight to go to. So I walk so at the back. To go buy movies. To go buy movies, yeah. exactly. And I walk at the back and there's, and there's this guy um, with his table of VHS. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know this was here. And he was yeah. like, no, we're not. We're only here every three months. I'm like, what are the chances? I'm in Toronto yeah. for my 40th birthday. I leave my wife at the Four Seasons and I shoot down to this... And this guy, uh, Rob Muir, Rob Muir um, I believe it's Rated Rob on, uh, on Facebook if people are looking yeah. to buy VHS. And again, I, I leave with a stack of VHS. I mean, that, so that's how I relax. I noticed that like, it was like your last trip you left with like 30, 30 uh, films. Exactly. And it's always obscure underground things. Now, I mean, that isn't to say... And you get to watch... Them all. <laughs> well, I mean, I try, and that's how. Yeah, that's that's that, that, that's, that's the, uh, the collectors. I mean, a perfect example of the madness, and and, and this might all sound to people. People are probably switching off now, and thinking this is too weird and obscure. <laughs> I will tell you how how unweird and obscure it actually is. Is that I have two Instagram accounts. I have my personal account, which is um, my comedy, my kids, uh, my life, magazine stuff, and that is you know that's at James Wallinger. That's yeah. my. Uh, I also have a secret Instagram account, which is <laughs> Tromaville Citizen, it's called. Okay. So Troma is the film company that makes Toxic Avenger and yeah, all these movies. Yeah. Uh, Tromaville Citizen, so I'm a, the citizen of Tromaville, at Tromaville Citizen. Uh, that account, which is just pictures of my VHS collection <laughs> and weird stuff and that I collect. this doesn't include DVDs, Blu-rays. No, 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 I mean, it, it's some, but it's basically just any weird yeah. stuff in my collection. That account has more than double the followers as my personal really? account which basically Niche means accounts are always yeah, yeah means that more more than double people more than, uh, twice the number of people like dusty videos than like <laughs> my comedy or my kids or me yeah. right so um which is just a beautiful fact yeah um that, that um so anyway i mean so it's a very long answer answer to, to your question but um but ultimately uh, collecting is how basically so it's kind of odd that basically my how I relax is a very is, yeah. it's a solitary activity I find that that's still kind of way it is with social media though niche accounts even like for my my photography page mm. has twice as many followers as my personal page well, and, and, and you know what I was looking at photography and it is amazing I oh, should thank say you. That. No, I was really really I thought absolutely uh, beautiful photographs yeah. I appreciate that thank you very much um, there was another comment I was going to mm. make about the DVD collections um <laughs> Well, because I know you were talking about Oscar movies, of course. I'm going to, yeah. And it, I'm going to send you a photo later of mine, but mine's going to look do. tiny compared to oh, yours. Okay, please. But I, 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 went, I, um, I, ha- I haven't, I, I, told, like, I mentioned I, I moved into my dad's condo. Yes. And he's got this very nice kind of display unit that he had stored all his soccer trophies on oh, and stuff. Wow. And I was like, well, there's no point in me keeping my dad's trophies still mm. displayed here because people are going to think they're all mine. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, so that's anyways, a good, that's like, a good yeah, pickup tactic. Well, okay, so it's now it's literally gone. Gone to the opposite because I'm like, this is a great place to put all my movies out on display. <laughs> so I put them out. I actually thinned out my collection a little bit because I was like, there's too many movies to fit on this ginormous display. Right, right. And I love and that. When I, and when I am dating, if, or just like when when even friends, you know, like girlfriends are over and stuff like that, 
it's almost the point where they see it and they're like, uh-uh. how long have you been single now? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, well, we're not shy of things to watch. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like if you don't want to have sex, we can watch four <laughs> copies of Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, you took down the things that could get my, you laid. My, my, yeah. That won't get you laid. My, uh, my thing too is I'll get a, I don't want to say obsessional because that has got a negative connotation to it, but like, um, if I'm into a certain type of film mm. or like one point I went on a James Bond binge right. now it's like well now I have to own every single James Bond binge. yes you I know don't... stuff like that now my recent one is Studio Ghibli films because I'm planning Jeez. on going to Japan in, 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 uh, in January and I want to go to the museum and I'm like well now I have to watch every single one of them I'm exactly <laughs> the same I mean, yeah. and for me, not one or two not the top five I gotta yeah, watch them all all of them exactly <laughs> and it's a weird thing I mean if you to ask me why I like underground of weird and trashy movies yeah. And it's basically because um, th- we, we live in an odd space right now, and this isn't a, 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 a slamming of, of, of critics in any way, yeah. shape or form. However, what I do find particularly odd is that, I mean, I am, if, if we're to go by popular opinion, I am not a very cultured person because um, the movies that invariably get these five-star reviews, uh, whether it be Spotlight or The Phantom Thread or right, right. Uh, almost any Oscar movie of the last five or ten years, Birdman, I get that they're technical achievements. Yeah. However, they are also boring as fuck. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I just... I, 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 I mean, I, honestly, I mean, I, the, 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 I mean, and this is a good thing for, for, for the cinema movie business. I, the reason I go to the cinema to watch movies like The Revenant and like yeah. the, the Circle, which was a, a three-hour Swedish satire of the art industry, the only reason I go to the cinema to watch them is because if I watch them at home, I will not get past the first five minutes. Right. I have to force myself. I'm, I'm right. very similar, um, yeah. Uh, because, and and, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm bored. However, yeah. The Hitman's Bodyguard, with Ryan Reynolds and, and Simon Jackson comes out, gets savaged by the critics, gets the yeah. worst reviews ever. I go and see it on a Tuesday night in St. John, New Brunswick, in a room full of hardworking, decent, ordinary, working middle-class people. Right? Yeah. Um, um, my wife's not big on action movies. She likes rom-coms mainly. But I yeah. talked to her. And I said, "Look, it's probably going to be fun. It's similar to Jackson Reynolds." We sat there, laughed our asses off, enjoyed the shit out yeah, of this movie. The movie, the movie ends. Yeah, I, I stand I'm... up. I look around at this cinema, and all I see is five hundred faces smiling. Yes, now yeah. you never see that normally after a movie. Like it ends, everyone just walks out. But everyone is grinning. Like... Couples are hugging. It was like we'd just been through this emotional journey because yeah. for the first time in years, we had all been entertained. Yeah. Right, and um. And another perfect example, and again, this is going to make me very unpopular with some people, but uh, but the, the the Robert De Niro Zac Efron movie, Dirty Grandpa, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah has yeah. has something like nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. which Rotten Tomatoes is it's an extraordinarily awful concept anyway, and an awful way of reviewing films. And I think the film industry has seriously uh, fucked itself by uh, utilizing it and yeah. putting it on and, and giving it. Um, sub, it's uh, basically uh, the it's given it's, the determinant now yeah, whether it's a good movie, which is or not. completely yeah, absurd. Yeah. And that, Dirty Grandpa has no. Good reviews it, people say it's misogynistic it's blah 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 um uh well here's the thing uh i'm not going to get into a debate whether it's misogynistic but what i will say is, is that my wife you know an amazing powerful strong woman who's you know done amazing things with her, her life um and doesn't necessarily identify as a feminist because she's just too busy being an amazing woman to want to label anything uh, <laughs> however uh, we sat and watched dirty grandpa and laughed our asses yeah. off 
but an hour and a half, which right? Which is now, the point of the movie. Which is the point right. of the movie, right? And, yeah. and, and you know what? And then I hear critics savaging it, saying, oh, it's just nothing funny about Robert De Niro masturbating. Everything's <laughs> funny about Robert De Niro masturbating. Robert De Niro's grandson walking yeah. in, he's jerking off. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I find that funny. It, I, mean, I mean, by all means, shoot me down. Yeah. So, so, so it's another thing whereby basically now, when I see a movie that <laughs> has one-star reviews, yeah. I go and see that movie. <laughs> um, so it's anything. It's a funny thing where I guess in and this is a, a rule actually. I, I can't act at all. And once I was in a, in a sketch, and this friend of mine, Robert San, uh, Richard Sanding, who was who was directing it, uh, saw how bad I was being, and he said, he, he said, here's the thing with comedy, mate, with acting. He said that if you can't be good, be really shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel like that's essentially the best. Yeah. Right? You don't want to be middle ground. If I, if a movie gets a three star review. I don't want to see it. Yeah. I'll watch the Five Stars. Forty percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll watch the Phantom Thread. Yeah. And yes, it is technically yeah. extremely well done. However, I work very hard, and you know what? Watching Daniel Day Lewis yeah. and some woman stare at each other over a table for two hours <laughs> is not my idea of entertainment. Yeah. Robert De Niro joking off is right. <laughs> so basically, I, 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 I go for ten percent yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes or hundred percent, and, yeah. and nothing in between. And, and so when I go to the Oscar movies, I mean, you know, Get Out is the only one pretty much that I think I was entertained by. There might have been some more, but I mean, Spotlight, that one, the movie that won the other year, I mean, just the dullest, I mean... Uh, my, well, actually, the one for me was, I, I struggled through Moonlight. Mo- oh, and, oh, and, I know. And you know what, the Moonlight also, I, I was like depressed the rest of the evening. I Same. Like, I don't want to come out of a movie and hate my life afterwards. I agree. <laughs> give, give those poor guys an ending. Yeah. Like, give them a fucking ending. Oh, and and this is the other thing. I mean, I'm sorry. It sounds like I'm obsessed with jerking off, but like the only good scene in that, or the best scene in that movie, was when he gets the joke off on the beach. I wanted to see <laughs> that 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 cute kid. Growing up, he deserved some fucking yeah. action. Yeah. I wanted to see him get some proper action. He deserves more than a sly little wank on the beach. He deserves more. I wanted to yeah. see him get fucked proper, right? <laughs> right? And, 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 and that should have been the ending. Yeah. Um, and again, Moonlight, again, I mean, I mean, the, the, the Sam actor, David Fincher directed at the end. Exactly. <laughs> should have had Fincher. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, and, and the guy that I think won Best Supporting Actor who played the drug dealer, I mean, an amazing performance. It's yeah, a yeah, brilliantly yeah, yeah. layered performance, both as a father figure and, and kind of very brave also to have a kind of but no one jerks off like no one jerks and a very sympathetic uh, a drug dealer which I thought was a, a, a very uh, brilliant and, but again the film is absolutely beautifully shot yeah, yeah. however I was I was bored to tears um uh, however, you know, Dirty Grandpa, amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, I, I was, when I was listening to your other podcast and you were talking about the Oscar movies, I just I just had to uh, had to share that. I haven't seen Shape of yeah. Water yet, so I won't comment. Shape of Water, it's like, you know what, because, and that's where I like the movies. That's why I was disappointed last year when Moonlight won, because mm. not only, I, I really enjoyed La La Land, mm. and I, I'm not even a huge musical person, right. but not only was it beautiful, I was entertained. Yes, yeah, time. yeah. And I think that's, that's there's got to be a bit of, and I guess... Certain movies serve their purpose different ways, but that's I think theory. that's kind of like the ultimate movie for me. If it is beautiful, you know, a movie can be funny, but like, you know, it's some kid holding a hand me cam or whatever. It's it's not great. Yeah. But, you know, I, when it has both, and Shape of Water is, is entertaining. Right. It's entertaining. And, and that's the thing. And it's Guillermo del Toro, so you know it's going to be beautiful. You know, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, you know yeah. I, I, I just think... I, I was pretty... I was... I was I'm yeah, no, I can't... I can't this year, I was... I have to say, I was pretty... Uh, okay with most of the movies the three billboards if you haven't seen it yet is I have yeah and I like that entertaining and and, and and I think I possibly had two high hopes the performance because, because is really good. the director is um, one of my favourite directors In Bruges is yes, to yeah. me one of the most perfect movies of all yeah. time ever just absolutely genius I mean not just because I read it 
I, I read this. It, I mean, the, the the race element I did find somewhat shaky. Like, it, I mean, I I find it slightly annoying now with these movies. Where it, again, I mean, it, it was there was definitely something very off kilter with the fact yeah. that you know that this black character gets locked up and then she comes out and her only concern is you know she's been in jail for something she didn't do for weeks on end and she comes out and and of course all she's cared all she cares about is is the white character okay right yeah. and, and then equally I just watched a, a wonderful movie called Wind River which is about. Um, you know, essentially addressing the issue of, uh, of missing indigenous women. However, um, it's all about the, how the white characters are helping. Uh, it, it, it's like, it's, yeah. the focus is all on the white characters. So, I mean, again, and again, I shouldn't, it, it sounds pathetic to make a, a film that is a piece of entertainment political, but unfortunately in the day and age that we live in, right, uh, you don't yes. suggest it. But, but, and all of that said is, and three people, as you're right, is, it, uh, is and was uh, an excellent movie. Yeah. And, and was very entertaining. Like you said, it had that, that balance of both. Yeah, you know? exactly. And then the, but then the disaster artist which had um, uh, again amazing reviews um, and was good uh, the James Franklin movie obviously yes, but the, yeah. it, uh, it, weirdly it's not as good as The Room or as entertaining as yeah. The Room like it's a weird thing to be watching a movie which is, and, and Franco's performance is excellent and Seth Rogen yeah. is excellent and, and everyone's but I'm basically watching it thinking I want to I want to watch, oh, the, watch right the Room now. Now. yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I mean that's it. I mean I can I, I can say you know you can say it's the same anyone you can say your opinion here there. Other my favorite movies are still Die Hard and The Naked Gun. Right, well, exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Two most insane movies of all yeah, time. Right yeah, yourself. absolutely. Um, going back to, to 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 comedy for a bit, one one thing I was curious about because my I come from my parents are Northern Irish, mm, so amazing. I come yeah, and uh, my, my mom's her her best friend is 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 from Newfoundland, oh, cool. and she went back. She went with her one time to go see her family and stuff, and she came back and she was like, "All those people, they're like us. They're the, they're Irish, pretty much." Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean? So I, I was curious if you found that almost in New Brunswick. If you almost, it's almost like it, if it feels similar. It's almost the closest thing outside of the UK. Well, yes. Well, well in Newfoundland, I definitely do when I go there because. Um, uh, there is that. I was, there's a, there's a, a funny story about when Tommy Tin, when Just for Laughs took Tommy Tin into Newfoundland, and and he was in a bit of a bad mood. And they said, "Well, what's wrong, Tommy?" He said, "Well, everyone's taking the piss out of me. Yeah, they, they're all doing my voice." And they're like, "No, no, that's how they speak here." Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, and so I mean, Newfoundland has a, there's that connection from being um, uh, and it's funny you mentioned I mean, Orlando, one of my favorite um gigs to to perform uh, when I lived in the UK was uh, in uh, it was the Belfast Empire, which is mm. one of the one of the yes, best. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, venues to perform at, but um, uh, I mean, I definitely feel, the one that I can, connection I feel in all of Canada is is the obviously the, the Commonwealth thing, right. which you know this is one of the most inclusive countries in the world uh, for for all immigrants, and and that's that's the thing is England doesn't have that. Nine, England, yeah, I mean, this isn't to, to tie everyone in England with the same brush, but the, the right wing press are kind of so prevalent and so racist and so full of hate that there is a complete uh, distrust and hatred toward, towards immigrants in the UK. Uh, there is also, um, uh, and, 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 and that's uh, all immigrants. So yeah. something, whereas this country, conversely, is extremely welcoming. I mean, a perfect example is in England, the politician gets votes by uh, locking up Syrian refugees in, in what are essentially depressingly modern day, uh, you know, concentration camps, not to, not to kind of you know, use that as a, you know, they're jails for uh, refugees. I mean, people, yeah. that, people that are, are legitimately being something awful and they are being locked up mm-hmm. in, the, in these awful, um, um, you know, prisons essentially, right? That is how a politician gets votes 
in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Canada, you get votes by embracing Syrian refugees yes. at the airport. What, what a wonderful country to live in, whereby uh, inclusiveness uh, is the key. And, and, and again, to, to use a, a far less um, um, severe um, example, a far less uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, depressing example, you know, if you are in an English pub, um, and uh, there's a North American accent, i.e. Mm. my wife's voice or your voice, yeah. um, people will be looking over with a kind of like fucking Americans mm-hmm. uh, attitude. If I go into a Canadian pub and people hear my voice, they're like, oh my God, where are you from? Oh right, my God, right, right. Yeah. right. It's, it's, uh, it, uh, in England there is, and, and again, this is not everyone, but just on the whole, and I think most, I mean, liberals in England would agree with me on, on this point. Um, the, the, you know, there is a fear and distrust of, of, of outsiders okay. um, yeah. um, and conversely in Canada there is an embracing of outsiders mm-hmm. and, and again that's not everywhere, there are, of course there are, there are racists everywhere but for the most part um, in this country uh, uh, people are, are welcoming and that's why, uh, another reason why again I, I think it's the greatest country in the world, yeah. That's excellent, yeah. Um, and, but, and then just in general like East Coasters they have this kind of, they already have a sense of humor, you know, they're funny people as it is. They so. are, they're, they're, yeah. they're happy people, they're, they're, they're funny people, I mean, and again, Newfoundland is a perfect example, Newfoundland is, you know, as everyone says, I mean, it's, yeah. it's one of the toughest places to perform as a comedian because everyone's already funny. funny. Yeah, all, yeah I, I talked to another comedian, who yeah. said, I, we were talking about Irish people, yeah. he goes, I always felt weird going to clubs because I'm like, the people watching me are funnier than I am. Right, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so, so there's definitely, I do feel a connection. And of course, the other thing is, is almost everyone has a connection to the UK. Uh, like, well, my wife's grandmother, for example, was a war bride. She was, you know, born in, in oh, and, and lived in Croydon in England and came over to Canada yep. as a war bride. And invariably, you know, everyone you meet has some connection to England. So there is definitely, I definitely do feel that connection. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, moving on to something, one, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was similar to myself you had you had this background in, in journalism mm, yeah. as well and I, I was curious where you started to find your journalism started to merge with the career in comedy good good, good you know? question so I, I, I guess I've been at GQ for about five or six or seven years when I first started doing stand-up and um in, in fact you know what it merged fairly quickly I started doing stand-up my editor found out I was doing stand-up it was, it was 2005 it had been a dream to do it for many, many years, and I was serious about it as a, mm. as a career, uh, and it being a thing I wanted to do forever. And my editor actually asked me to write an article um, about doing stand-up, and I actually declined it on the basis that at that point, and it still happens now, there were some of these awful journalists try stand-up mm-hmm. for an article, things, which right. is kind of an absurd... I mean, I kind of get it, but it's also been done to death a few times. And right. it's, also, it's, it's like, it's a, well, journalist tries, you know, I mean, it, it's a skilled job. It's like, you don't have journalist tries heart surgery. So right. why, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. you know uh, it's an absurd. Um, but um, I also knew that because I wanted to be a stand-up, I didn't want to be the, I, I didn't want to, I wanted to take the craft seriously. I didn't want to be the, 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 the guy who did it for a story. Mm-hmm. So I declined it. And then about 18 months later, I met a, a, a very good, a, one of my wife's best friends in, in Toronto, uh, a lady called Sylvana, who she worked with at GFT, which was kind of Armani, Calvin Klein here. Her husband, Eric, started working with Just for Laughs. Yeah. And he said that they're interested, they want to know how to get a story in GQ. Mm. And I'm like, well, I've got an idea. How about a brand new comedian performs at the biggest comedy festival in the world? How's that for a story? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, that's a story, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Because at least it's not journalist trying to stand up. It's, it's comedian with 18 months experience trying to stand up. Right. And actually, if anyone wants to read that, that is downloadable from my 
bio page of my website, this article from 2006. Um, so almost immediately it started merging in that way. And then I would occasionally buy comedic thing, yeah, comedy things for the magazine. I started my editor. Again, I had the most wonderful uh, editor at GQ, Dylan Jones. He's a, kind of a publishing legend in the UK. And he, he founded L London's Men's Fashion Week now. And now he's in an OBE. And he's written the definitive book on David Bowie, which is in actually chapters Indigo uh, here in Toronto with a big display. And, yeah, absolutely, um, and just the weirdly most supportive person. I went into GQ uh, magazine for one week's work experience, uh, literally one week yeah. to stuff envelopes and uh, testament to the way I, I was nurtured and, and anything everything yeah. else was stayed there for 15 years and still contribute now. So essentially I have 20 years with that magazine. Yeah. The editor is still the same guy. He was very supportive from the get-go. And uh, so we're getting to edit the jokes page and then Basically, I'd say about five or six years later, um, gave me the job title of comedy editor, which I can't remember if I asked for if he, or if he gave me, but he basically wanted to start doing comedy issues. It was when the comedy okay. boom started happening. Right. So basically, suddenly, I'm then doing these things where I'm producing cover shoots and videos and interviewing Paul Rudd, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, uh, um, you know, Ricky Gervais, you name it, all of these yeah. comedy legends. Um, and I'm flying to LA, New York, Gary Shanley, we're doing Jackie Mason, we're doing shoots with them. And, uh, and again, I guess, I don't know if this is the case. I mean, partly I think he was being nice, partly I think it was because it was the, probably the right thing to do for the magazine. Right. Possibly partly it was also, how do we stop? Uh, it's stand up. He did, it, it happened when stand up started going well for me, when I started right. touring. So possibly yeah. it was also to stop me from resigning. Right. Because again, how can I resign to do stand up full time when I've got this job that compliments GQ, it perfectly? Yeah. And, um, but again, that was kind of what then the movie that was made about my early years in comedy was kind of a born out of that, where I was kind of living this ridiculous life of like spending the day interviewing, you know, Amy Schumer, Jay Seinfeld, and then shooting off to do gigs to 20 people and you right. know, still letting the craft. So it's kind of. It kind of feels like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's kind of, it, And again, I don't know many comedians that have kind of had that experience, which is how, how that how that movie was conceived um, but that's basically where, where the crossover happened yeah. um, and again it's funny when people ask you know so that must have helped you in your comedy career having those connections yeah. but of course the reality is I mean there are some professions where you can get a leg up like you can be yes, a, yeah. you can be a shitty actor and become successful you can be a shitty all you need now is a hundred thousand Instagram. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, that's it, right. You can be a shitty politician. Yeah, you can, okay. you can and, and, and get ahead. You can be a shitty CEO, or you can be the, the, the son of the owner of the bank and become, or yeah. you can be all of these things, right? However, there are no shortcuts in comedy. Right. If the audience are not laughing, right. you are not, you know, you can be a, a billionaire and you can rent an arena and you can go and do a show, but if no one's laughing, no one's yeah. coming, right? right. And, and so there are no shortcuts. So you can you could have spent the day with Paul Rudd, Amy Schumer, Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld, and you can know every agent out there. Mm -hmm. If you're not making anyone laugh, yeah. there's no. So so that was kind of an an interesting learning as well because I guess you know there would have been times where I tried to uh, not exploit my position, but certainly tried to level you know of I, 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 as you do when you're desperate. There would have been times that I tried to you know uh, get myself on a show that. Uh, there's no shortcut, yeah. and that is to me the most wonderful and pure thing about yeah. uh, the comedy industry as a whole, and indeed most creative fields. There, there, there is no, you know, I mean, even and again, I don't want to disparage artists, but even an, an artist, a wealthy person who is an artist, can rent a very expensive gallery, uh, produce perhaps not the best art. Uh, I mean, I'm, I don't know why I'm thinking of Jim Carrey here, but, uh, but because uh, it's not my position to say whether Jim Carrey's art is good or not. But Jim Carrey, for example, decides he wants to be an artist, he can open a gallery, yeah. 
invite all of his millionaire friends, they can buy them. Now on paper, Jim Carrey is therefore a successful artist because his work is selling right. millions of dollars. Uh, again, it's, it's unfair to use him as an example. Right, right, right. Uh, possibly because maybe his art is good. But, yeah. but, but, but the point stands where no, no amount of money buys laughter. Right. You know, um, so that was also fascinating to basically kind of see that, yeah, there isn't a shortcut. It really, right. it really is the most kind of organic and pure. So let me ask you, because I remember I read somewhere that like Jerry Seinfeld was a hero. Of yours. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. anyone in comedy kind of is, right? So what was it, what was, when you interviewed him, what was it like? Were you nervous? Were you... Yes, very. I mean, well, I was, I was beforehand. The wonderful thing about him as a human being is that... Um, the nerves do not last because within five seconds you feel like you're talking to a friend and he has a wonderful ability to make you feel incredibly at ease. And, 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 and I think some people get a misconception of that almost with him, especially with this recent the hugging thing and everything, you know. And yes, I mean, I mean, I mean, the hugging thing. I mean, I mean, was completely legitimate. I mean, yeah, the wonderful so thing about him is that yeah, like. I mean, uh, so, you know, regardless of who that, who was the person? That, I, don't, I don't even remember. No, I've forgotten now. But I think the point was, was that he should, uh, part of the point of the scandal was possibly that he should have known or something. But, 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 but regardless. Some stranger um, comes and wants to hug Some strangers want to hug. No. Yeah. You know, don't, don't touch me. You know, you know, he, he, I mean, it, his response was actually for once the, the only sensible response. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to an absurd situation. Um, and so, yeah, you and yes, he sometimes seems. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes he seems uh, cagey in interviews. Which, um, but no, I mean, nice. I mean, and so some of my interviews with him are on YouTube, and and all of the features that I've, I've written, I think, are actually downloadable oh, no. from my okay. bio page right, yeah. as well. Um, but um, so he made you feel pretty comfortable. So a decade ago, this month, yeah, uh, for my thirtieth birthday, my wife uh, spent our life savings buying me for my uh, for my birthday present two t- uh, tickets for us both to go to see Jerry Seinfeld live in Memphis because the only place he was performing was right, my yeah. all-time hero. I've been doing stand-up for about four or five years then. Um, and oddly, we're talking about this now, on my Facebook page on this day 10 years ago, the pictures popped up of us in Memphis 10 yeah. years ago seeing Seinfeld live, uh, which was a wonderful moment um, and an amazing thing for a woman to do. And it's, I think the point at which I realised that I was going to marry her because I yeah. thought, if I found a woman that thinks it's a good idea to blow every cent we've got on flying to Memphis to see a comedy show, she's yeah. the fucking right. woman. She, for yeah. she's, she's the <laughs> one. And um, and amazingly, that um, you know journey to see him. I then wrote about it for GQ, but what it was like okay. flying to see my hero live for the first time, yes. and the weight of expectation, and how it inspired me. Long story short, fast forward five years. I want to, and I won't bore with ins and outs of it, but. We were talking, that person, we were talking yeah. earlier about trying to get hold of people and trying to get yes, secure yeah, people yeah. for your uh, for interviews. Um, Seinfeld's publicist, agent, manager, they said no to me about 30 times before they said yes. Yeah. One of the things that sealed the yes was me sending that article to them. So without that right. trip to Memphis, I would never have got that interview because they said he doesn't do interviews uh, when he's not promoting something. And basically the response was, which is the greatest compliment in the world, they came back and said, well, Jerry says that he doesn't want to do an interview with a journalist, but he'll talk to a fellow comic. So it was ah, basically, so yeah, because yeah. of Stanford, because of the all these things interviewed him once over the phone he liked the article sent me a signed poster and a wonderful email that said um, uh, James thank you for the uh, wonderful feature um, it's nice that it wasn't this, just the celebrity usual and I'm pleased that I put you on the comedy path as Ray Liotta says in Goodfellas for guys like us there was no other way right a, a beautiful yeah. thing for you here to say to you uh, that then led to a, another interview which was face to face in New York where I was directing him for a GQ video I mean it was just beyond insane yeah. Uh, a, a chain of events which um, 
and you know, and again, to, to go from this guy being my hero to suddenly like we part of the, it was the first GQ iPad edition that we produced. Oh, okay, we went to yeah. go out with a splash, so we put him behind a sheet of glass, and he's basically knocking on the glass as if he's trapped okay. inside the iPad. He's like, GQ, I've got me trapped in there. Let me out, let me out. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. But it was weird. I'm there with this amazing photographer and, and filmmaker, Gavin Bond, who's, who, and Seinfeld's doing a take and turning to me and going, "Was that all right?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. You, 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 <laughs> you tell me. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, doing, <laughs> you're doing just fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're doing just fine. And um, and then we sit down to do the interview, and then he invites me. Uh, he was he was then coming to London to do a big show at the O2 Arena. He invites me backstage. Um, and so my wife and I go backstage, and it's this big backstage area. And there's, 20,000 people in the gig and there's about 100 in this backstage area and my wife goes this isn't it let's go yeah. down there we go down and we go down to this other room and there's about 10 people in there and those 10 people are Ricky Gervais and British comedians Lee Mack and wow. Richard Herring and we're like this is the fucking room and then Jerry came out and George Shapiro's manager like, like brought, brought him over and yeah. I mean just a, a wonderful inspiring um, human being and yeah, just that you know that he never had any reason uh, to be nice to me there was nothing to right. be gained he didn't need to be interviewed. Yeah. That was time he was taking out of his day. I mean, I'll give you another perfect example, a thing he did for me, which again is just, uh, well, I was going, I had a, a show on, a, a web series on Comedy Central. Uh, we were up for recommissioning and um, uh, we were doing one of the videos we did, which, which is, I think if you Google James Bond, meets Jerry Seinfeld, uh, that, this particular meeting, which was another time, is on, um, so I met him you know, three or four times and, um, uh, we basically said to him, can you do a little Takema piece? And he was like, hi, I'm Jerry Seinfeld and you're watching Movie Kingdom on Comedy Central. Yeah. Right. And so that basically we were able to walk into this pitch and they were like, so can you get, can, can you secure all the talent that you can, that you say you can get? Right. And we're like, watch this. Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean, again, I mean, to get you, I mean, this was the other thing was that he gave, he gave us a couple of hours of his time for this thing, uh, for this GQ thing we were doing. And one of the assistants on the shoot said that, uh, he had worked on the Annie Leibovitz um, American Express ad with Seinfeld where yeah. I think he was paid something like a couple of million dollars anyway uh, and for an hour so yeah. they, they had him for an hour and he came in at four and he left at five and then he does this thing for us for free and stays for like two hours right yeah. Uh, again yeah just a legitimate uh, a legitimate woman who loves the craft of stand-up so, right you know, big hero. wow that's excellent when I when I started this mm. I made a list of a hundred people right. that yeah. I want to one day interview mm. And uh, for me, my, one of my heroes is, is Bono. But oh, I think right, if right. I ever was in a room with Bono, I'd just be like, well, yeah, I love your music. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but yeah, I think you always think that, but the amazing thing yeah, is, is, that, is that these people put you at ease. And also yeah. the other thing that is worth remembering, which is a technique I used when I was nervous at GQ, uh, going into interviews, is that, um, I mean, at junkets are a different situation, but whenever you sit down to do an interview like this, you know, yeah. tell me you're with a person, the thing to remember is always, that that person is there because they want to be, to be yeah. right? You know, a junket, yes, they, they've, they're contractually obligated to be in this dark room all day. But if, you, if, you're set, if, if you're in a situation where you're sat down there with Bono, Bono isn't there. If Bono doesn't want to be there, he wouldn't be there. Yeah, right. right? Course, yeah. And also Bono's, uh, you know, in, 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 and all these people, in some ways, they're as keen to please you as you are them. Right. right? They are there because they want to be. Yeah. And, and that, that um, remembering that That's has great. got me through a million uh, situations. Some good to advice think that, for, for that, journalists. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is, um, you know, if you're in a room with someone, it's because they want to be there. And it's the same thing I, I tell myself as, as a comedian go on stages, you know. People are there to laugh. People are there to laugh. They're not there to. They're not there. I mean, in England, they are coming out to be assholes but you know and they come out to audiences come out to bed but but in Canada you if you're on stage in a Canadian comedy club people are there to laugh, laugh. Mm. um I was watching some highlights from from um 
Movie Kingdom. Oh, right, yeah. And there's yeah. some hilarious moments on there, and, and I would recommend anyone oh, taking you. a look at it. What were some of your, your favorite moments from... Um, I mean, probably the first big... Uh, the, yeah, the thing that kind of got it off the ground was that, you know, we went out there pitching a funny film review show, uh, and everyone was saying, well, it, it won't... We got the commission, and we went to the film companies, we were telling them, you know, we want to interview stars, we want to make them laugh. Yeah. And at that point, there'd been a few shows that had been prank shows. So, like, the show Balls of Steel, right. which, again, yeah, yeah. very funny sketch, where Tom Cruise was interviewed, I think, at the War of the Worlds premiere, and they sprayed him with water. So, people were very scared about... Uh, celebrities were very scared about being uh, satirised. There was a lot of brilliant yeah. uh, satire shows in England where people had sat down for interviews and been tricked, whether it's Ali G or Brass yeah, uh, yeah. and these things. So... It was very hard to explain. No, 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 we're not laughing at them, we're laughing with, with them. them yeah. Because actually when you say that, whenever someone said to you at school, we're not laughing at you, we're laughing with you, they were laughing at you. So, yeah. so, so it's, uh, uh, no one could get their head around the idea of, uh, of the fact that we were going into a room with Daniel Craig. We weren't going to go in and be dicks, we were trying to yeah. lighten the mood because they've sat there answering the same book, what's it like working with David Fincher? They're sick of that yes, shit. Yeah. So my, so, no one got it, and then we went on the red carpet for the Descendants, and George Clooney came up, and I said, you know, and it was Descendants is set in Hawaii, and I think we, the question was, which my director, uh, Mark Murphy, wrote this joke, and actually he said, ask this question, and I, and I was nervous, and I was like, oh, God, I'm not sure, and he was like, and he, he was very, he's also the writer director of Comedian's Guide to Survival, the film about my, yeah. and he's, he's uh, one of my oldest friends, but he's also very direct, and he's just, he's like, fucking do it, <laughs> that's his directing style. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't use that with other with other actors, but he knows he can do it with me because it's actually the only thing that would make me do something. Is right. Something angry with me, and um, George Clooney came up and I said, "So the Descendants is a comedy, is a is a comedy drama set in Hawaii. Is something else? Is it a funny version of Fifty First Dates?" <laughs> and Clooney just yeah. howled with laughter. Yeah. Right? And um, that scene is what got us through every other door. It got okay. us. Uh, yeah. The budget went up. Um, we got the six episodes. The film companies saw it, they got it. Some people were still like, well, the, the George Clooney's a nice guy. Not that Daniel Craig's not a nice guy, but Daniel Craig's very serious. Yeah. I mean, and, and then, so that was my first favorite. It was one of the first ones we did, and one of the last ones we did, it's also my favorite, which was Michael Fassbender, who, um, I mean, he is uh, rated as an amazing actor, but I still think he's underrated, because I mean, that, that, the body of work of course, that man has yeah. done. And the other thing I love so much about Fassbender, which not many, many people know, and I don't know if this is still the case, but it was certainly the case five or six years ago when he would come to GQ parties. Fassbender is a fucking grade A partier. Like, this is a guy that, <laughs> yeah. that, that goes berserk. And, 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 yeah. and I'm someone that goes berserk. And he isn't ashamed to be the most hammered person at a party. Really? And, 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 and I absolutely... I, I have a great uh, admiration for people who are extremely professional, who work their asses off, yeah. and then when they've got some downtime, get fucking trashed. That, <laughs> because that, 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 that's my, you know, I, I will never be wait, late for work, I will never be hungover for, yeah. for something professional, I will never be drunk for so something. So work that hard, to, play hard, uh, and uh, Exactly, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a huge, I believe in that. So the Feather Fast Band is probably the greatest actor of the generation, and the most diverse. Anyway. Long story short, Shame, the amazing film that he yes, did with director yeah, yeah. Steve McQueen. Again, Steve McQueen is, is uh, without question, uh, one of the uh, 21st century's you know, geniuses. Yeah. Um, and again, a Turner Prize winning artist, a very serious man. Um, and they said to me, you know, they, and by this point, the show had been on the air for a while. And they said, look, the film's very serious. It's about sex addiction. Yeah. You know, Steve's very serious. Michael's very serious. Please don't, you know, fuck about in there. 
And I said, fine. And I walked in and I sat down and said, um, you know, I just saw the film and it was absolutely transfixing and, you know, really emotional. And they both go, that's great. And I said, and it's put me off internet porn for life. Yeah. And they both held with laughter. Yeah. And, and again, that was just a beautiful, beautiful moment. Yeah. And of course, again, the wonderful thing about laughter is it's an involuntary uh, response. And actually, you know, you could possibly argue that George Clooney's laugh might just be Clooney being the nice right. guy and fake laughing. But the, the fast bender and Steve McQueen, so two people that I admire massively, uh, both very large. Uh, th- th- those yeah. were two highlights, definitely. That's great. I, I read somewhere that there was some kind of interesting interaction with Anne Hathaway or something. Yes. I couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, really? It made, so. Oh, you know what? I, and I can tell you, I do have it somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, was just, it was one of those moments which is going to happen when you're doing this many um, interviews, is that she just didn't get it. And I think she was, she was a, again, junket situation. Yeah. She was in a bad mood, uh, didn't want to be there. Um, and I think I thought I was like in the mood, but she was not having it at all. <laughs> so I'm kind of going in, and again, I mean, and again, I, you know, I'm big enough to take responsibility for these things. When you know, I, like I always, people say, some comedians say it's a shitty audience, and I think, well, you know what? No, our job is to make every audience. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and there are some exceptions. I mean, maybe she's the exception, but basically, I was asking fairly stupid questions. Like, you know, I said, oh, so yes, today been full of, you know, terrible, she was playing Catwoman, terrible cat puns, right. are you feline good? And she was like, nope, I haven't gotten a single one until now. Right, very firm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what makes you laugh? And then she leaves this long pause. And I'm like, really? You know, like that's, uh, uh, that's rude to, you know. But then of course I start jabbering like an idiot. And, I, and, I'm, and we just come off a very, very, very funny interview with some, it was someone someone who was nice and charming and lovely and talented and the complete opposite of Anne Hathaway. Someone like Sandra Bullock, who yeah. basically would go on this very funny thing about kids falling over. So in my yeah. kind of stumbling, and again, I wasn't handling it well with Hathaway, but I think I said, well, you know, I said, for example, when kids fall over, you know, everyone panics and it's funny. And again, I was just kind of trying to relive this magical moment. And she's like, that's not only a like, sicko would find kids falling over funny. Like, that's not, that's not, <laughs> you know, and, and it was just the most awkward, <laughs> horrible, um, but it made for, you know, again, we relished that. So yeah, that's so yeah. funny. Well, I don't want to, yeah, I'm going to wrap things up. Cool, yeah, you got course, your day yeah. to go yeah, on. No, cool, there was yeah. one thing I read on your Wikipedia page mm. that caught my attention. And uh, for one, I wasn't, Sure, if you knew this was on here. Is this? Is my, I think someone told me about this. Bollinger yes. is a psychic and has helped yeah. multiple police forces in the United Kingdom locate missing persons, lost pets, and most notably the car keys of the superintendent of the West was it Mercia Constabulary in what was known as the Operation Find My Keys. Right. Um, uh, no, that is not true. I mean, I mean, <laughs> they say. Yeah, it's like yeah, there's levels of like making it in life, and I guess yeah. having your own Wikipedia page is is a level of making it. When someone else has written it for you, because uh, I have not yeah. written that pe- the page itself, you you you've made something of yourself. Yeah. But you've really made it when someone's making up weird shit <laughs> yes. and 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 as randomly brilliant. Yeah, it's random. You think it's a, like a, a buddy, you know, just taking the piss out Yeah, I, I don't know, because I, don't, I think, <laughs> I, I think if, if it was a buddy, it would be like, you know, he, he rims, you know, uh, donkeys on his face <laughs> off. Like, like, that's how my friends would have written. So the fact that it's this, yeah, I, I have absolutely no idea. Does Mercia even make it mean anything to you? I, 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 none of it means anything. That's I'm not, I mean, it's, hilarious. it's beautifully random. And I can only assume <laughs> it, yeah, it's someone that doesn't, um, doesn't know me. And yeah, I only discovered this when... I guess my wife was on a press trip somewhere and was talking to a journalist and 
she's dead, the husband's a comedian, and they searched me and they yeah. gave her this out to her. <laughs> and you know what? And this was a few months ago, and I did think I should go on there and take it down, but you know what? It's I'll the, leave it on there. That's kind of the irony of, you know, being a comedian. And, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, I mean, let well, believe, maybe I'll get some work. I think that's what they say too. The celebrities, you know, because of Wikipedia, celebrities die like 50 times before they're actually dead. Exactly, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and hopefully, what with me being a psychic, I will predict my own. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, thank you very much, yeah, James. Thank you very much. I really no, no, appreciate it. Really, really and good luck on the shows tonight. Appreciate it. Again, uh, I'll be on a 14-hour Air Canada flight, so yes, we'll enjoy maybe it. I'll watch some Oscar movies to put me asleep. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And look at the bright side. Like, even if I'm dying on stage tonight, at least I'm not on an Air Canada flight. 14-hour Air Canada flight. <laughs> Thanks very Thanks again. Adamantium.